This past week, uh, Kristen and I have been in Nicaragua, and uh, many of you know that we have a lot of partners down there in Nicaragua that we work with, and we were with one of the churches that, that we partner with, that we do a lot of ministry with. We fund their feeding program. We build houses through this church, and one of the things that we believe in that we're confident in is that we want to have partners in every area of the world where we minister, so it's not about just going in and, and being there for a week or two at a time, but when we leave, there's people that are carrying on the work uh, that we're able to be a part of down there, and so it was just an incredible week. This week, we had a pastor's conference down there where we invested in into the lives of some of the key pastors that we work with, and it was really an incredible week, and every time I go there, uh, my faith is stretched in some way or another. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you, you maybe think that you're on the level with something, you think that you're good at something, and then you, you see somebody else and you realize that you still have a long way to go. I, I remember the first time that I went out wakeboarding, uh, I went with some friends of mine, and we went out on the lake, and we started wakeboarding, and a few people went, and they would get up, and they would fall, and they would get up, and they would fall, and the guy that was driving the boat was kind of giving some tips here and there, and he would kind of tell them what they could do to kind of get up and stay up, and so it was my turn, and they were kind of giving me some tips to get up, and they took off with the boat, and I immediately got up, and I was standing and I was super proud of myself, if I'm really honest, because everybody else so far had fallen. Everybody was having a hard time. And then I was able to cut across the wake. And I was like, I got this. What else is there? Like, I know how to do this. I'm good. And then the guy who was driving the boat asked if somebody else could drive the boat so he could have a turn. And he got out there and he got up immediately. And then he cut across the wake immediately. I'm like, check, I can do all this stuff. And then he cut across the wake and he went up into the air higher than I've ever seen in my life. He did a double flip and he came back down and landed and he cut back across the wake again. And my friend who was driving the boat was like, oh, this is JD. He's the top wakeboarder in the world. And I was like, what? So I'm Googling this guy. He's like sponsored by Red Bull. He's this incredible wakeboarder. And here I thought I had it figured out and he showed me what it was really all about. He showed me how much room there was to go. And it's funny when we go into these different countries because when we, when we step into the church there in Nicaragua, everything you would see, all the evidence of what you could see would tell you that we have it better than they have it. Our, our, our space is better. Our space is cleaner. Our music is better. Everything about the experience that you see is better. But then something happens when these people start to pray. Something happens when these people start to speak of the things that they're believing God for. And what you realize is that in the area of faith, we still have a long way to go. That we still have a long way to be stretched. That, that sometimes I think we have, a, have trouble applying faith because if we're really honest, we don't need it all that often. Because so many of our needs are supplied. So, many of what, so much of what we need is already provided for, and yet they live in a context where they're constantly needing faith. But the truth is that everyone operates from some form of faith. And I think sometimes we misunderstand faith because we, have, we say things like faith and fear cannot exist at once. The only problem is that, that living in fear really is just a misplaced version of faith. That when you live in fear, you are really just placing your faith in the worst possible scenario. And it's actually easier to do. And I think that's why fear tends to spread so much quicker than faith. Because it's easier to jump on board with fear. It's, it's easier to embrace fear. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says these words that 
quite honestly, make me really uncomfortable. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think in our heart of hearts, on some level, we are all pleasers. It may not be God that you're trying to please, but I can almost guarantee you that your actions are in some way trying to please somebody, that everything you do is rooted in trying to please somebody. And for those of us who would even consider pleasing God, sometimes even though we're told clearly that it's without faith, we cannot please God, sometimes we try to look towards every other way to please God other than simply having faith, other than simply believing. We try to do enough to please God. We try to act a certain way to please God. And yet we don't even have faith. Hebrews 11.1, if we back up in that chapter just a little bit, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, th- this is the problem when we walk in that church in Nicaragua and when we think about faith in our own lives, is it that it says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. The problem is that we have been so conditioned to be assured by the things that we have and by the things that we can see. It's why we live our lives so publicly. It's why we post everything on social media. We want everybody to see what we have and see where we are. It's what gives us our assurance It is people knowing what we have and what we can see. And yet our faith, which is not seen, is what actually should give us our assurance. And notice that faith begins with something else. It says that that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And this is why it's so difficult to have faith in a season that feels hopeless. Because before you can really have faith, you have to have hope for something. There has to be a hope in your heart for something in order to have faith. And that's why in moments of of loss, in moments of grief, in moments of uncertainty, it's so difficult to have faith because in many ways we've lost our hope. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've wanted something so badly, you've, you've hoped for something so badly, you've believed for something so strongly, and it just hasn't happened. But but time has a way of, of wearing on us so that our hope can run thin, that our, that our hope can begin to run out, that we can kind of quit hoping for things when they haven't happened. And there, there's this moment in scripture where there was a woman who, she wanted a son all her life and she never had a son. And we find her story in this moment where she's really kind of given up on the idea of even having a son in 2 Kings chapter 4. Beginning in verse 8, reading through verse 17, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. He said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day, when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. In other words, in this moment, she says, I'm good. I don't really need anything. But Elisha asks again, what? can be done for her. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. 
So he called her and stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. So if you notice in this moment, Elisha is this mighty prophet, this mighty man of God, and and this Shunammite woman notices him passing by, and she notices him coming by her space, and she never even reveals to him that she has a need. She never even reveals to him that that she has something in her heart that she wants, And, and yet she invites Elisha into her life. It says she makes a meal for Elisha. But, but I think before she even invites him, it's important to notice that she acknowledges him as a man of God. That, that she says to her husband, I, I, I noticed this man named Elisha and I believe that he's a man of God. See, throughout this story, we see this woman take some amazing steps of faith, but it begins with simply acknowledging the work that God was wanting to do in her life. See, I think so often we don't, we don't often acknowledge what God is already doing in our lives, the work that he is already doing in our lives. See, sometimes the best way to build your faith for something new is to remind yourself of what God is already doing in your life, to remind yourself of the faithfulness that God has already showed you. See, acknowledging someone is the first step in welcoming them into your world. You, you cannot feel welcome if you go unacknowledged. I use this example in our culture class all the time, but one of my pet peeves is when I step into a restaurant and there's supposed to be a hostess at the host stand and there is nobody there to welcome you. I get very uncomfortable very quickly. I don't know if I'm supposed to seat myself. I don't know if someone else is going to seat me, but I immediately don't feel welcome. Because just the simple act of acknowledging someone at least lets me know hey, they know I'm here. They know I'm here. You cannot feel welcome if you're going unacknowledged. But then she took things one step further, and she invited this man of God into her home. It says that she made a meal for him so that he would stop there. See, initially it says that he passed by, that often she saw him passing by. And it took her taking a step of inviting him to actually get him to stop in her home to actually get him to spend some time in her home. She, she made him a meal. She, she felt like passing by wasn't quite enough. See, I, I think there's a lot of us who would like God to work in our lives. We would like God to do something in our lives. But the very circumstances that we want him to work in, we have yet to invite him into. We've yet to actually welcome him into those circumstances. We, we may tell him about them. We may gripe to him about them. We may, we may pray to him about them, but we don't actually invite him into our hopelessness. We don't actually invite him in to our needs. See, she could have said, she could have said, this man hasn't noticed me. If he's really a man of God, he should have noticed me. If he's really a man of God, he should have known that I had a need. He should have known that he should stop at my house. She, she, could have, she could have taken that perspective, but instead, because of her in, in, invitation, Elisha goes from passing by her house to stopping at her house. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I want God to be invited into my hopelessness. I want God to be invited into the places where I need him most. If we pick up the story in verses 9 and 10, it says, She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. 
Let's make him a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. See, see, she goes beyond just acknowledging this man of God. She goes beyond just inviting this man of God into her life. She actually makes a room for this man of God so that he can stay in her house. See, I think a lot of times we're, we're fine with God just stopping by, but we don't ever really invite God to stay in our circumstances. We don't actually make room for God to stay. See, she made a meal and he stopped, but she made a room and he stayed. And there is a very big difference in places that you will stop by and places that you will stay. When, when I'm traveling, if I need something quick, I might stop by a rest stop. I might stop by a gas station. But when I'm looking for a place to stay, when I'm looking for a place to sleep, those places don't even cross my mind. When I'm looking for a place to stay, I'm looking for a room. I'm looking for a place that welcomes me. I'm looking for a place where I feel comfortable, where I can rest. And she said, let's make for this man a place where he can rest. Let's make for this man a place where he can stay. And I believe our lives should be places where we make enough room that the presence of God has room to stay in our lives. That the presence of God has room to stay in our lives and in our churches. There is a difference between stopping and staying. And that we would make that investment to see God stay in our midst. See, I think so often we become satisfied with making meals for God so that he can stop by, but we've fallen short of making room for him so he can stay. That we haven't cleared out the, the cobwebs and the things that, that, that fill our lives enough that God would stay in our midst, in his presence. We carve out moments but we've yet to actually make a room. And there's, there's a difference in the cost. There is a difference in the cost of making a meal and making a room. There is a difference in the sacrifice. Building a room takes time. Building a room takes investment. Building a room takes effort. I don't know if you've ever lived in a house where a room was being added or a room was being remodeled, but, but it's a total inconvenience. Everything about your life has to be reoriented around the fact that something is being built. This woman was willing to go beyond just acknowledging and beyond just inviting to investing her resources, to investing her time into making sure that the man who carried the presence of God could stay in her house. See, the question is, are we willing to do the same? Because in order for the, for, for the man of God to stay in her home, the house had to grow. The house had to get better. Her faith had to grow. And the same is true for your life. And the same is true for my life. See, if, if you truly want the presence and the power of God in your life, it's going to cost you something. There are things that you will have to sacrifice. There are things that you will have to give up in order to make room for the presence and the power of God in your life. You are going to be stretched. See, so often, the difference between something that is, that is just out of reach and actually reaching it is our willingness to stretch for it. It's our willingness to reach for it. We would all say that we desire more of God's activity in our lives, but are we willing to pay the price to make the space to have it? Are we willing to let go of the things that we need to let go of? Are we willing to sacrifice the things that we need to sacrifice? in order to have more of his presence. See, it, the thing about being in process, the thing about ha having a room added onto your house, the thing about being in construction is that suddenly you don't even feel comfortable in your own space. 
that even in your own space, you are being stretched. You are, you are being stretched to be uncomfortable. It's in this weird space where it's not quite what it was. It's not quite what it's going to be. And you're in this weird in-between space and you don't feel comfortable. But let me tell you this, when you feel like the cost is too high or like you're being stretched too far, let me just encourage you that that, that means that the magnitude of what God wants to do with you requires that stretching. It requires that growth. It requires that step. It requires that sacrifice. If you're in a season where you feel like the price you're paying is, is too high, let me just remind you that you are going to get what you're paying for. You are going to get what you're stretching for. And I believe that God is looking for a church and God is looking for people who will make room for him in their lives. People who, who will sacrifice to make room for him. People who will sacrifice to make space for him. Beginning in verse 11, it says this. It says, one day Elisha came. He went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant, call the Shunammite. But basically in this moment, he asks her, what can I do for you? And she says nothing. And, he, and, he, and his servant finds out that she actually does not have a son. But isn't it interesting that, that it wasn't until she made the room that Elisha asked, what can I do for you? That, that, that he didn't come in and say, what can I do for you? And then she decided to make him a room based on what he had done for her. She makes room for him before he does anything for her. See, often we get this reverse. God, if you would just do something for me, if you would just show me what you can do, then I'll give you more space in my life. If you would, if you would just do something for me, then I'll make room for you. And in, beginning in verse 18, it says, the child grew. She has a child and the child grew. And, and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. Some things never change. If you didn't catch that there, the child is hurting. The child is in pain. And he goes to his father and he says, go to your mother. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. And the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother. The boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. See, in this moment, she had a dream of having a son. And it feels like in this moment, God has been faithful to her. She, she has the son. She has the thing that she always wanted to have. And then he dies. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were living in a dream season. You were living in a moment where God was faithful. You were living in a moment where it seemed like you were, you were living in answered prayers and in promises. And then suddenly it was all taken. But that is the moment that she's in. It says, she calls to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly in return. Why go to him today? He asked. It's not new moon or Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, 
Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Notice in this moment, she says everything is all right to the servant because she knows she wants to talk to the man who actually put her in this situation. She's like, I am not gonna talk to your servant. I want to talk directly to Elisha. And when she gets to him, she said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Didn't I tell you, don't get my hopes up? Because every time I get my hopes up, this is what happened. I I knew it. I would raise my hopes and I would risk getting hurt. I think this is why so many of us actually don't have faith, because we refuse to get our hopes up. The reason maybe you don't have any faith in your relationship, the reason maybe you don't have any faith in a future relationship or in your marriage or in your parenting or in your business is perhaps because you have lost hope that God can actually do anything with those things. That if I get my hopes up about this relationship, if I get my hopes up that God can actually do something in this marriage, it's only going to end in disappointment. See, this is the reality that this Shunammite woman had known her whole life. She had chosen not to get her hopes up because she knew that it could end in disappointment. And now she's facing the reality that she suspected. She's facing the reality that that she got her hopes up and, and she thought she got what she wanted in that moment. But now it seems as if the promise is dead. See, I think so often we're, we're like this Shunammite woman in this way that, that we have faith in God's power, but we do not trust his plan. That we have faith in his power, but we do not trust his plan. See, you cannot talk about faith without talking about hope and without talking about trust. Because you have to have hope in order to have faith. But in order to actually walk that faith out, you have to step into a new area of trust. Because trust is faith in action. Trust is actually believing that God can do what you have faith, what he's asked you to do. And in this moment, she has lost trust in Elisha. She has lost trust in this moment. She has lost trust that God will do what he says that he can do because in this moment, it feels like the promise is dead. See, true faith is is forged in moments that we would like to avoid. True faith is forged in moments that we would like to avoid. It's why Paul says that it's in our weakness that God is made strong. Because it's in moments of weakness and it's in moments of vulnerability that we actually have to move into trusting God, into actually exercising our faith. See, we want to have faith, but we never want to be put in a position to have to have faith. The problem is, in order to actually have faith, you have to be put in a position to have to have faith. That is the problem with faith. See, we we could have said in this moment, or she could have said in this moment that she gives up on this idea of Elisha. Why even run to Elisha? Why even go to Elisha? He has failed her in this moment. She, she had enough faith to build the room. She had enough faith to make room for him. But in this moment, she's beginning to lose trust. And it says this in verse 32. It says, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. He stretched himself out upon the boy and the, body's, uh, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son, 
She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Notice where she laid her son. She laid her son on the couch in the room that she had built for Elisha. She laid him on the couch in the room that she built for Elisha. See, the miracle that she needed took place in the room that she built. She did not know when she was building the room. She did not know when she was making space for Elijah, Elisha that he would then work a miracle in that room. The miracle she needed happened in the place that she prepared, and she didn't even know what she was preparing it for. She just knew when this child died, when this child passed away, she knew there was one place that she could take him, and it was into the room that she had prepared for the man of God. See, if we want to be a house of miracles, we have to make room for God. If we want to see miracles in our lives, we have to make room for God. If you need a miracle in your life, make room for God. See, maybe you're like this woman. Maybe you need a miracle, but you've quit having hope that it could even happen. You've quit having hope that it could happen. Can I just encourage you to begin to make room in your life for God today? I don't know exactly what that will look like for you, but I know this. She didn't make a room because she needed a miracle. She made room because she wanted more of God in her house. She, she made room just because she desired more of him. And it's, it's amazing how when you increase your level of desire for God, you begin to see him work in your life in a new way. Because as she stretched her faith, just to make room for this man, God birthed a new promise in her. He said, this promise that you have thought would never happen, I will bring to pass. And then this promise that you thought was dead, I will bring back to life. And it all happened in the room that she made. She had a place to go. See, some of you have nowhere to go when it feels like the promise is dead. Some of you have no place to go when it feels like the promise is never going to happen. See, when we make more room for God in our lives, we run to him when the promise feels dead. We run to him when the promise feels like it's going to happen. And, and for some of you, making room might look really practical. It might look like waking up an hour earlier each morning and making room for God in your day. To, to start your day praying, to start your day in God's word, to start your day reminding yourself of his faithfulness and his goodness for you. For, for some of you, it might look like eliminating some things from your life. For, for some of you, it, it might look like eliminating some screen time. It might look like replacing some things that you currently do with time in his presence. But can I tell you that it is a worthy investment. It is worthy time to make room for God in your life, to do whatever you have to do to make room for him. For some of you, it might mean getting into a group and going deeper into community with other people. For, for some of you, it, it might be speaking out loud to some other people the promises that you have lost hope for so that they can speak hope into those moments. For some of you, that, that may be what it looks like to make room. And isn't it interesting that, that God fulfilled the promise in her life when she just made room for somebody else? Like, I think for some of us, God wants to move in our lives, but we are rejecting the people he sends to work in our lives. That, that, that for some of us, making room for God might literally look like making room for people in our lives. 
that we've been so hurt and so broken in the past that it's easier not to let people into our home. It's easier not to let people into our lives. And yet they are the very people that God wants to use to bring about the promise in our lives. I don't know what it looks like for you to make room. I don't know what it looks like in your specific situation, but I know it's gonna cost you something. I know it's going to be an investment of your time. I know it's gonna be an investment of your resources. I know it's gonna stretch you to do things that you don't want to do and to step into things that you maybe don't want to step into. It's going to inconvenience you, to disrupt you, to make you uncomfortable. But I can promise you this, the cost of living without the presence and the power of of God in your life is greater than the cost of making room. Anything you give up, anything you let go of, will not outvalue the presence of God in your life. The presence and the power of God in your life will be greater than anything you give up. And I want to be the kind of person and I want us to be the kind of church that doesn't just prepare meals so that God can stay, that doesn't just acknowledge him, but that actually makes room for his presence in our lives so that he can stay among us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?